time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, normally, uh, kings go to war with their troops. But for some unknown reason, on this occasion, David stayed behind and sent his commander Joab out. There's no indication as to the reason why. And as I just read, one particular evening while the troops were out fighting, David went out on the roof of his palace and he, he saw not just a beautiful woman, it, it says a very beautiful woman bathing. She was there, we presume, unclothed. And David lusted after her. So he sent someone to find out who she was. And he learned that she was Eliam's daughter. Eliam was the son of David's top advisor, Ahithophel. So he sent, uh, and so therefore Bathsheba was the granddaughter of David's top advisor. Now that isn't that big of a deal. But she also had a husband by the name of Uriah who served in David's army. So she was a married woman. David was a man who already had seven wives and a number of concubines, and yet he lusted after someone else's wife. And so this kind of became a defining moment for David. And when you read this, it makes it sound like all this happened in a matter of minutes, but, but David sent someone to find out who Bathsheba was. And that had to have taken some time, you know, possibly, you know, a couple of days. And it was more than enough time for David to reconsider what he was about to do. Samuel the prophet described David in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, as a man after God's own heart. So you would have thought that once David learned that she was married, that he would have forgotten about her, because David knew that adultery was wrong. I mean, the law was very clear about that. There was no mistaking that. And so this just goes to show that you should never overestimate your spiritual strength to resist temptation. Never ever overestimate the power of Satan to deceive. David was confronted with this defining moment where he could choose to do what was right and resist the temptation, or he could choose to submit to his own desires and sin against God, the God who chose David and gave him the kingship of Israel. You know, Scripture warns you about the sin of lust. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you could say David had already committed adultery with Bathsheba in a sense, even before he knew who she was. 
John wrote in 1 John 2.16 that lust is from the world and not from God. In other words, it's a fleshly desire. Paul warned the Colossians to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly or fleshly nature. In other words, don't let your fleshly desires control you. And then he listed some examples of, of one's earthly nature. Sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed, he says, which he says is idolatry. Anytime you, you allow the desires of the flesh to dictate your behavior, it is or becomes idolatry. You know, it's putting self above God. Romans 8, 7, and, and, and this is a, a memory verse. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. That's a pretty convicting verse. When your mind is driven by your fleshly desires, you will follow those desires rather than God's will. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster. You know, we live in a society that inundates us with sexual content. Sexual immorality, however, of course, is, as we all know from reading the Bible, it's existed since the world began. We're just more aware of it, I think, because, you know, the instantaneous means of communication that we have today that were absent during Bible times. But sexual immorality is rampant, leads to broken homes, broken marriages, broken children, not to mention that it's actually a sin against yourself. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7 that sexual sin is sinning against your own body. And that's, that's a sin committed by you against you, which causes you harm. So this became a defining moment for David. And in verse 4 of 2 Samuel 11, it reads, Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. So in that moment, David chose to follow his fleshly desire. He chose self over God. And this choice altered David's life forever. First, this sin resulted in Bathsheba's pregnancy. And when he was informed of her pregnancy, David attempted to cover it up. And if you know this story, it just went from bad to worse. David had her husband Uriah, who was at that time out fighting Israel's enemies in David's army, brought home from the battlefield. And so David encouraged him to go home that night, hoping that he would sleep with his wife. And it would look like uh, that Uriah, her husband, had gotten her pregnant. Unfortunately, that didn't work because Uriah refused to go home that night. He chose to sleep at the palace with the other soldiers. He, he was showing more integrity than David at that time. So plan A failed, so David resorted to plan B. He, he had a luncheon prepared and he invited Uriah the next day to this luncheon, gave him a lot of wine to try to get him drunk, and then sent him back home hoping that Uriah would go home and, and it would again make it look like Uriah was the one who got her pregnant, and that didn't work either, because again, Uriah didn't go home. Plan A and plan B both failed, to David, so David resorted to plan C. He sent Uriah out, back out with the troops, told his commander, hey, put him in the front lines, and then have everybody draw back from him so that he'll be killed. 
And uh, plan C succeeded, and Uriah was killed. So David attempted to cover up his sin through deception, and when that did not succeed, he covered it up by committing another sin by orchestrating the murder of Bathsheba's husband. You know, it, it reminds me of that modern proverb, oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. So due to his poor choice, he committed adultery and then murder. So, of course, the Lord sent a prophet to David to reveal his sins to him, and to David's credit, he confessed his sin. Nathan the prophet told him that the Lord had forgiven him, but because he showed utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to him would die. The child did die seven days after birth, even though David prayed and fasted for the child. So David's defining moment ended up becoming a fatal attraction. Bathsheba's husband and child both perished as a result of David's choice. But that didn't really end David's troubles. In fact, it was just the beginning. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 11, the Lord told David through the prophet Nathan, You struck down Uriah the Hittite, who was Bathsheba's husband, with the sword and, and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. That's who they were fighting against. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. So because David made the wrong choice and sinned sexually before God, David's life from that point on would be forever changed. He said the sword would not depart from his house. That's what the Lord told him, meaning there would be strife and death in his family. For example, David's son Amnon raped his sister Tamar. David's other son, Absalom, murdered his brother, Amnon, for doing that to his sister. Absalom then attempted to steal the kingship from David and forced David to flee Jerusalem. Then Absalom was killed by David's army. So David's lust for Bathsheba became fatal for the other members of David's family. All of David's concubines, who are basically, you know, wives with fewer privileges, ended up being raped in broad daylight by his son Absalom in accordance with the word of the Lord. You know, we, don't, we just don't always think when we make choices like this, just how many people might be affected by our one decision. I mean, David's life could have been so much different and so much better had he made the right choice by not committing sexual immorality with Bathsheba. And after David committed the sin, the Lord said to David in 2 Samuel 11, 7 and 8, You know, I, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul, his enemy. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And all, if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. 
I mean, it's amazing sometimes what one or two bad decisions can, can do to a person's life. I think most of us realize that you know, sexual sin is a destroyer of families. In many cases, it, it, lead, it can lead to poverty as, as single moms try to work full time and take care of the family. It, it results in young children with no father in the home or, or having to split time or choose sides between mom and dad. Many children end up getting into trouble, you know, committing crimes because it's, they just don't get that kind of discipline that they need. In a single parent home. Sexual immorality is also the cause of many sexually transmitted diseases, but you know, there's there's even more to it than that. According to Jim Dethmer, who was a minister at the Willow Creek Church in Chicago, one of the problems with sex education being taught in the schools is not that children are told too much, but they're told too little. Children are only being taught about the physical aspects of sex without the spiritual and emotional aspects. The students are being led to believe that it's just a physical transaction. The prophet Malachi in chapter 2 verse 15 said, A husband and wife are one with God in body and spirit. Paul took that even further in 1 Corinthians 6. He wrote that when a Christian man has sex with a prostitute, he is one with her in body. And because a Christian's body is a member of Christ, it results in uniting Christ with a prostitute. So a sexual relationship is not just physical. It's also spiritual. Well, David ended up marrying Bathsheba after her husband Uriah's death, and they had another son named Solomon, who became one of the greatest kings ever in the the history of the Jewish nation. So even though David dishonored God and created tragic outcomes for himself and his family, he repented, and God still forgave him. When you sin against God, confess and repent of your sin, God will forgive you. But you still will suffer the consequences of your choices. David's life changed drastically as a result of making the wrong decision. It was a defining moment for him because a number of tragic events occurred in his life, even the death of some of his family members, all because one night he saw a beautiful, very beautiful woman bathing on the roof of a house. And he gave in to his lust. Now, you you and I have a benefit of learning from David's mistake. When you're confronted with situations such as that, take, take Paul's advice and flee from sexual immorality. Run as fast as you can in the other direction. A few years ago, you might, some of you might remember, Vice President Mike Pence said he would never meet personally with a member of the opposite sex without his wife being present. And he was criticized publicly by some for that statement. (laughs) But I, I agree with him. He was choosing not to place himself in a tempting situation. Temptations, of course, come in all shapes and sizes. Paul told the Corinthians that no temptation has overtaken you except What is common to man? In other words, your temptations are not unique to you. Others have experienced the very same temptations that you have. 
Paul indicated to the Corinthians that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. He will always give you a way of escape according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So we can never say, God, why did you do this? Why did you put me in this situation, Lord? I mean, James pointed out in chapter 1 that God does not tempt anyone. It's your own desires that tempt you. God always, as he said, provides a way of escape, but it's up to you whether or not you'll choose the escape hatch. Now you may think, I mean, you may think you're strong enough to resist temptation. But as Paul indicated, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, don't test yourself. Don't, don't put your, yourself in those situations that will cause you to be tested. Don't, just don't go there. In, in construction, there's a proverb that says, measure twice and cut once. When it comes to temptation, think twice and then act. David's response to his defining moment, really, it didn't ruin his life forever, but it changed his life forever. It did ruin some of his family members' lives forever. It became a fatal attraction because, you know, people died, including some of his own children. And once the action is taken, as as you know, it, it cannot be taken back. Don't let Satan, don't let Satan rob you of, of the blessings that will be yours when you put God before yourself. You can control outcomes before they happen, not after they happen. I remember in my early one year, when we were playing touch football. I was probably in middle school, I don't know, maybe, maybe a little bit older, I don't know. We were playing touch football on the street in Martins Ferry and... Uh, I was, I was very competitive when I was young, and, and I was blocking a younger boy by the name of Marty Frazier, who was not a very athletic, he, was a, he just wasn't very athletic at football, and, and so I was, I was pushing him, I was blocking him, trying to keep him away from the quarterback, and I'm pushing, and I'm pushing, and I'm pushing, and all of a sudden, I realize that he's starting to fall, he's losing his balance. He was going, and I could tell he was going to fall backwards. We were playing in the street, and right behind him was a parked car. And he did fall, and his head hit the bumper of the car, and immediately, of course, blood started flowing everywhere, and he split his head open. And I, when I saw him start to fall, I, I... I don't know, I froze, I didn't grab him, I just thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is not going to end well, and it didn't. And I just regretted that immediately. I regretted it immediately. I could not take it back. It was too late. I'm sure a lot of us can think of situations that we've been in that were similar to that. Unfortunately, Marty ended up with a few stitches and was fine. But sometimes a few stitches won't repair the damage that you've done. Loving this world is going to be and has been a fatal attraction for billions of people. Billions of people are going to be, many people are going to be unprepared when Jesus returns. They'll immediately have regret. 
that they made the wrong choice when they could have made the right one. But right now, it's not too late to change. You know, this may be a defining moment for someone in here this morning. You've been considering it. You're in a position today to change the outcome of your life. If you've not obeyed the gospel and Jesus comes back before you do, your outcome is not one you're going to like. And really, that's probably the greatest understatement anybody ever said. What I'm saying is, if you, if you want, if you, I'm sorry, if you wait, you may not be in a position to change the outcome. If you have obeyed the gospel, but having been living in a life that honors God, this may be a defining moment for you in regard to your relationship to God. See, right now, you're in control of your destiny. But if you wait too long, you may relinquish control. I encourage you to do what you need to do this morning to get your life right with God. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that right now as we stand and sing.